Hey there, Cowboy fans. Welcome to the Unbiased Podcast on America's Team. I'm your host, Austin Smith, and joining me today is Coach Ty Rogers, one of our analysts over at Pigskin Nut and a lifelong Cowboy fan. And we are the Big D Beatdown, and we are brought to you today by PigskinNut.com, the soon-to-be undisputed king of football news and podcasts. Whether you're in your car, taking a break from work, or just relaxing at the house, it's always better to be doing so while you're getting your football fix. We break down players on our pro football scouting show, as well as tackle some of the most current and controversial topics on on our football roundtable. We discuss some of the all-time greats on our show wide right and put out exclusive shows on some of your favorite NFL teams, such as the Giants, Eagles, Browns, Broncos, Chiefs, Steelers, and of course, your Dallas Cowboys. Make Pigskin Nut your ultimate source for football news and podcasts. If you want quality football analysis with independent opinions from people who know and understand the X's and O's of the game, head over to Pigskin Nut. Remember guys, Pigskin Nut, for those crazy about football. All right, Coach Ty Rock. Nut is for they're crazy about football, but at this point, I think our Cowboys are just flat out driving us. Um, you know, I just I I I I don't know how to categorize it any better than that. Um, yet another um loss that is you know, you know, with a, a similar storyline to those that we've already seen. This season, this one almost a carbon copy of the Buffalo Bills lost from Thanksgiving the week before. Um, you know, Coach, we uh, <laughs> we get out to an outstanding start. I mean, th- it, we looked like the Dallas Cowboys for the first almost nine minutes of the game. The first 17 snaps. The offense takes that football down and a 17 play, like I say, near nine minute drive in which Ezekiel Elliott punches it into the end zone. We looked like, man, the Cowboys have come out fired up and ready to play football like they are capable of. And from that point on, it was just another epic collapse, just like the Buffalo Bills one week before on Thanksgiving. Coach Ty, um, you know, <laughs> at this point, sir, is there anything that you can say that um, that you believe? I mean, is, is there any any hope left that this Cowboys team can be the team? And 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 let's throw playoffs out the door because at this point, with the way the rest of the division is playing, the NFC East has become a joke this year. Um, it does not matter who wins this division because I do not believe a single team that can win this division, which at this point I believe basically just lends itself to the Cowboys and Eagles. At this point, the Cowboys and Eagles, neither one of them inspire any confidence that they could win a playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers or the Seattle Seahawks or even the Minnesota Vikings uh, in a rematch. I mean, is there anything that you could say to change my mind on that, 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 that to inspire any confidence that this team could win a playoff no, game. No. And I wouldn't try because it's just, uh, you know, um, I, I live by the mantra as a coach that Bill Parcells said when he was here in Dallas, your record says exactly what you are and you are what your record says. We're at bottom line right now. The Dallas Cowboys are a bad football team. And the reason they're a bad football team is just what you mentioned. The Cowboys, apparently Kellen Moore does a great job of scripting the first drive because 12, 15 plays into the game, the the Cowboys offense runs like a machine. And, uh, you know, you see that he's uh, doing his homework when it comes to early formations, tendencies, et cetera. But after that, it, it continues to decline. It's been like this every game now. Uh, Dallas Cowboys defense, same thing. They might be able to get a three and out, and if they do, great. Um, but after that, they can't defend a crossing route. And football is about consistency. Uh, you can start off any way you want to. If you're going to the next three, four, five drives, have stupid penalties. Have uh, you know third and sevens that you give up on defense that you shouldn't give up have third and twos on offense that you can't convert. Um, and, you know, the, the other litany of problems, including missed field goals and uh, things of that nature. But maybe even more importantly, 
the reason I don't have any confidence at this point is that I don't see any communication to adjust those things uh, and to change those habits. You know, we talked about this before. There are three former NFL quarterbacks on the Dallas Cowboys offensive staff, but yet none of them can seem to figure out how to utilize Zeke Elliott. None of them can seem to figure out how to get Michael Gallup behind coverage. And none of them can seem to figure out how to use the weapons that the Dallas Cowboys have in the slot and the tight ends from the first series on until in the fourth quarter. Now, is part of that on the players? Yes, it is. I've sang Dak Prescott's praises all year. But he had a terrible game in Chicago. He underthrew balls. He did not look like an elite quarterback. In fact, J- Jason Whitlock from Fox News uh, went so far as to say he is not a franchise quarterback. Now, this is the last year that, Dow- that Dak Prescott will be with the Dallas Cowboys. I-, I have a hard time believing that it's that point yet, but he certainly isn't helping himself, particularly with the contract negotiations going on and the fact that Dallas Cowboys will have a new coach next year because he doesn't look like a quarterback when it's time to be poised and to lead his troops, uh, that looks like he can perform consistently. And I don't know what what is going on with that. And it probably is not all his fault. Quarterbacks get way too much blame and way too much praise. But you can't put together drives like that and then you know make Chicago punt the football and not take advantage of that. But like I said, the biggest problem I see, and this is the reason that the coaching staff of the Dallas Cowboys will not be around next year is because there's no communication and nothing done to change the problems that arise after drive one. That's your whole job in coaching. You do your coaching during the week so that when you get to the game, you can make changes on the fly and go to answers. When somebody counter punches, you expect that a team is going to adjust and the, particularly in the NFL, they're going to find a way to score. They're going to find a way to come back. And to, you know, to keep you from getting a first down. And then you have to go, okay, well, this is what they did. And this is what we need to get back to. Or this is what we need to go to. Or this is how we get the ball in our playmaker's hands. I don't see any of that going on. And that starts at the top. I am not much on some of the Twitter uh, talk that you see about Jason Garrett. Oh, well, all he does is clap. Oh, well, he doesn't have any emotion. He needs to be fiery. That's not, to me, what makes a difference. But I don't see him communicating. I know what communication looks like as a coach on headsets. And no, it doesn't have to be emotional. No, it doesn't have to be something where you can obviously see by his face that he's chewing somebody out or that he's trying to get things changed or that he's demanding something happen. But I don't see anything. And what that tells me is that whether it's analysis by paralysis by analysis or whether it's just plain that he at this point does not believe that he has the leadership ability to make the changes whether his assistants or himself, that there isn't much hope that this is going to get any better. And for somebody who's been very positive about the Dallas Cowboys all year and, and believes in some of the people in this locker room, I am to the point where I do not see the coaches doing their job. And therefore, I don't see any, uh, there's not going to be any change between that first drive being good and the rest of the game continuing to, to stink. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I cut you off for a quick second there, Coach Ty. I thought I'd lost you, but as it turned out, I was just having a, an issue with my headset. But, but, but everything's cleaned up now. And, and, and Coach, I, I, I could just agree with you. Yeah. I, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> um, they, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you know more with, with anything that you said there. Um, you know what, though? I will take this away from what you said, Coach Ty. You did mention Kellen Moore. And this team has been terrible at getting off to good starts. Kellen Moore, yes, we've moved the ball at times this year on that first drive or those early drives of the game. Haven't always finished. But you know what? I will give Kellen Moore this much credit. The last two weeks, this offense has come out. We've marched down the field. We've put in touchdowns on the board. I will give him credit for that. That is something that is ticking in an upward motion on a Dallas Cowboys team when everything seems to be trending downward or staying the exact same. I will give him credit for that. However, you know, there's just not much else, you know, I can say, you know. And it's funny because blame 
Blaine can be very tricky on this particular Dallas Cowboys team. There can be guys doing a good job that are being, you know, masked by others doing a poor one. And that's what this this I mean, I, I don't know who's going to be coming back on this coaching staff, if anybody. At this point, I can't really make a case for it, and we're getting ready to get into that next. But first, let me just say this. It's little things like that. Seeing the Cowboys offense get off to a start the way they have the last two weeks that tells me, Kellen Moore, you know what? Maybe there is some promise there. And, you know, I know Cowboy fans right now are probably screaming at me, hey, you know, well, how many times have we given up on Zeke Elliott? Guys, how many times has the play of the defense and, you know, in other areas dictated that the Cowboys give up on the run? How many times have we gotten behind three, three scores in the second or third quarter and basically had to give up on the run. Guys, I know there's still a lot of time left. But, you know, if you're running it, the clock is going to continue to move. And the de- and, and y- your opponent is going to adjust their strategy. They're going to continue to run it and keep that clock moving. They are going to, if, if you're going to in- uh, shorten the game, they're going to assist you in that factor. So, you know, we've been critical of Kellen Moore in some phases. But that's a hidden gem to me that we've seen him adjust the way that we've started the last two weeks in order to get this team, in order to get this team some, some quick starts. We've had leads to start each of these last two games. And for a slight moment, we've looked like the Dallas Cowboys that this team was expected to see. Now, unfortunately, those have all fallen by the wayside not long after. And, 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 and let's get what I said we were going to get to now. You know, and that's, and let me just say it like this. Should there be more heads on the chopping block than just Jason Garrett's? His is already penciled. I mean, it's not penciled in, it's chiseled in stone, in my personal opinion. And, you know, we'll get to another question at the end of this show that I don't want to bring up now because, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the, the tone of the rest of the, the, the episode, although it seems like it may be headed in that direction anyhow. But, should there be more heads on the chopping block? And and you know what? Well, I'll start by saying this. We did find out today that Brett Maher no longer has a job with the Dallas Cowboys. He's been cut. Wow. The first Cowboy of this disappointing season to be held accountable, coach or player, was the kicker. That's the first person that's being held accountable for his shortcomings, for his lack to live up to the expectation that this team had set with with championship NFC, NFC East, you know, Super Bowl championship expectations. That's the first player we're going to hold accountable is the kicker. Someone involved with no more than a dozen plays a game. And rightfully so. I'm not going to argue that Brett Maher needed to be gone. But it just, it's, 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 it's almost like a laughable. Rob Marinelli. You know, it's funny. This team has always played. Rob Marinelli teams have always played with a desire to get to the football. Gang tackling. Three, four guys just running to the football. Constant collisions because because players are, are flying to the football. We hadn't seen that this year. Chris Richard. You know, someone who, you know, it's it, it's funny. When Chris Richard, Richard first got this job, everybody, oh, he's a defensive back guru, a secondary guru. He'll do all these things. And I, I, I was hesitant, and I think Chris Richard is a good coach, but I was hesitant to fall into the hype because I said, guys, first of all, he was just let go in Seattle. Second of all, guys that came prior to him and had more control of that defense than he did – Gus Bradley's, Dan Quinn's, they went on to get head coaching jobs from their Seattle defensive coordinator time. Chris Richard got fired after his stint as defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. So we got to tap the brakes a little bit. Last year, saw some great things. Saw Byron Jones finally live up to his expectations. Saw promise from guys like Jordan Lewis, Anthony Brown, um, uh, 
uh, Xavier Woods, Cheeto Bay Awuzie saw promise from all of them at one point or another. Now that promise has gone right out the door. Does Chris Richard's head deserve to be on the chopping block? Even to the point of guys like Xavier um, Woods, I, I beg your pardon, Antoine Woods, who goes out and gets pulled over, you know, with weed in his car, gets arrested, does not play in the game, in a, in a playoff stretch where you think that focus should be, you know, could be no more important, could be no more vital to this team getting things turned around. And we get another distraction tossed our way from Antoine Woods. A second time that we've he's been a distraction this year after showing up late to meetings earlier in the year and not dressing for that game. Coach Ty, accountability is something that you ask every player coach to, to have. And if they don't, then it's the, the front office's job to hold them accountable through consequences. We already know that Jerry Jones is not going to do that with Jason Garrett. It appears they're not going to do that with anybody on this coaching staff. And the only player that's been held accountable to this point is our freaking kicker. Unbelievable. Coach Ty, who else's head should be on the chopping block? Oh, I, I can't justify any of the staff of Dallas Cowboys at this point returning. Uh, there's not a one of them other than Mark Colombo, which might be the one person. Um, and I know people listening to this say, well, you are, uh, you're biased, you're an offensive line coach. But uh, that makes me actually scrutinize things much heavier uh, than it would if I didn't know what was going on in the offensive line. And the offensive line of this team is the only reason they've stayed in games a lot of times because Dak Prescott is throwing the ball an average of 45 times a game, and the amount of sacks that they're giving up is less than two. I mean, it's ridiculous. An offensive line has to, to hold up that much against the blitz and against other things when it comes to pass pressure and that uh, Dak Prescott's been able to stand back there and throw the football as much as he has. But other than that, I mean uh, – like you said, and I have documented in these podcasts, I've had high hope for Chris Rashard because the system that he runs works. I've seen it work firsthand. I've seen what matchman coverage does. I've seen how the system can be implemented with athletes who are not quite as good as the ones that we're looking at in the Dallas Cowboys roster and make results happen. I understand the 425 concept. I had hope for high hope for Rod Marinelli too. For those of y'all who have been thinking I'm a Rod Marinelli hater the whole time, no, I really hope that his defensive line would have the ability to get after the the passer with the talent we have, and the, the, the marriage between the two of those guys would produce a defense this year that would have been airtight. But neither one of them, for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is, and I get you know I can't speculate as to who's at fault. Um, I do know that Chris Richard is calling the plays this year. Rob Marino was calling the plays last year. And I know that from that transition, we've seen worse results. Now, I don't know if that means that Rob Marino has less influence. But what I do know is that part of the reason Jason Garrett has a job right now is because neither one of them could be justified as the interim head coach in this, in the, on this team via the locker room, not the fans. I don't think anybody on this team would feel comfortable firing Jason Garrett for a defense that can't cover a crossing route and for coaches who lead a defense that has done nothing but decline since last year. You can say whatever else about why or how they've declined. So I don't see anybody on that defensive staff that, that I believe is doing the job necessary to be retained on the offensive side of the football. Like I said, uh, I could say and believe that um, Mark Colombo would be the one person that I would retain. John Kitna would be possibly a close second because Dak Prescott's a better quarterback than he was last year. Now, you know, we, we talked about the inadequacies when it comes to, you know, leading a team to, to victory in a crucial situation, but there are factors beyond him that, that, that are mitigate that too. But I think that John Kitna has made Dak Prescott a better quarterback. Now, is John Kittner ready to take the reins of a professional football team to be that coach? I don't know. I don't think so. 
Um, I know that he didn't even have a perfect record at Waxahachie High School here in Texas. So um, as much as I like John, uh, I, I don't think that he's ready for that. So, you know, when we're talking about chopping block, you know, that, that coaching staff is, is probably going to be gone, and I don't know that anybody deserves to stay except for the, mention, the names I mentioned. On the roster, I think Dak Prescott should be signed as a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, what he's going to get signed for at this point is going to be probably less than he would have got signed for at the beginning of the year. And ultimately, when we look back at the, what the Joneses have done, that's going to look real smart because we look at what Jared Goff has done in L.A. and we see what happened when he got the big contract. Carson Wentz, same thing. Neither one of them have produced like they did last year. And Dak Prescott is not going to get the money that either one of them is going to get at this point. Um, you know, I, I can't see a reason why you go to the defensive side of the football and some of these big free agents that are still left, uh, I think you let them go. I really do. Um, I know you say, well, what about Robert Quinn and what about Michael Bennett? But uh, either one of those, you may take one, sign the other, um, leave the other. Uh, I mean, I don't even know if it's worth that because there are pass rushers coming up in the draft that are going to be better than they are. Um, but bottom line is this. To me, the accountability for this team goes with coaching staff, and uh, they are not doing their job, and that's why they're not going to be here. Um, starting with Jason Garrett, and like I said, with the few exceptions, um, you know, Brett Maher is the only one that's been held accountable, and that says a lot about the organization, um, bottom line. And again, well, I've and you have Austin also praised the general manager, uh, Stephen Jones, and the head scout and director of prayer personnel, uh, Will McClay, for what they've done. Um, at this point, I think both of them need to take a hard look at their personnel and decide whether or not the, this is a good enough team going forward to invest um, in some of these names because they're just not getting the job done. Now, whether that's a coaching problem or not, yeah, it's debatable. Um, so the coaching staff's got to go. This is bottom line. Uh, they are not producing. They do not have the, the will nor the ear of this team, and it's obvious. Um, and then there's some players that are not going to get the contracts they thought they were going to get because they're not producing, particularly on defense. You know, I, <laughs> I it, it, what I'm taking away from that is bottom line, everybody needs to take a hard look and wonder why in the world they still have a job at this point. And you know what? You're right. It does start at the top. And, you know, I, I know everybody wants me to say Jerry Jones's name and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Outside of the casual fan, you know, that, that just doesn't pay much attention to what's going on, Cowboys, you know, uh, the, the, the fan base of this team should know how much less Jerry Jones has to do with this team and how much more Steven Jones and Will McClay do. You know, and you're right. I do praise Steven Jones and I do praise Will McClay. And the bottom line is you cannot discount the fact that, yes, they have put plenty of talent on this team, but even they, even they have to start to question a little bit. But are we overvaluing talent for maybe the mental makeup, because at the end of the day, this is a team that flat out isn't playing inspired football, isn't playing focused football. I've questioned it a couple of times on this show in the past about this team's mental makeup, about their mental toughness. And yeah, you know, at some point, you got to start to ask yourself, you know what? Are we overvaluing talent for players that when, when you know, when the, the, the momentum, when things are stacked up against them, that they find a way that they, you know, you know, they, they find a way to make things happen. Yeah, they, they are. Will McClay, Stephen Jones, even you guys got to, you know, got to shoulder some of this. Even though I think y'all have done a phenomenal job. Coaching-wise, you know, I, 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 I do. I'm a big fan of what Mark Colombo's done with this offensive line. Anybody who says they're not playing as good as they have in the past – you know what? This is a team that has repeatedly had to abandon the run game, no matter whether it's been good or bad, because of the situations that turnovers or the defense or the special teams have put them in and had to face pass rushes that just pin their ears back, know that they're going to throw the football. And Dak Prescott is one of the leading quarterbacks in the NFL in that scenario because 
this offensive line continuously protects. No, when, when everybody on the field knows that we're being forced to throw the football because of the predicaments that we're in. This offensive line has played up to that caliber. And yes, they are extremely talented. But you know what? Mark Colombo's got those guys playing and believing. They're not melting down. I do like what John Kitten has done. You know what? Like I said, I give Kellen Moore credit. Does he deserve criticism? Yes. Is he a first-year offensive coordinator, a second-year coach? Yes, he is, guys. We've got to play. Hey, what was our biggest complaint coming into this season? Got to see more creativity out of the passing game. Guys, has Kellen Moore delivered on that? I think he has. Has he fallen short in other areas? Sure. Would I be willing to see him out for a second season as an offensive coordinator? Absolutely, I would. Because in the one area, the the one thing he had to get checked off the list, improving this passing game, I believe he's done that. I like Coach Lau, the receiver coach. I think he does a good job. I will say this, the receivers have had problems with drops. That worries me. I, you know, that, that's, you know, but, but at the end of the day, every coach on this team has areas where they've let this team down. And you know what? You can't do what I personally think would be fun, and that's just start picking names out of a hat and telling them, you know what, pack your stuff and get on out of here. No. Instead, you've got to hold the top one accountable. That's Jason Garrett. Now, Jerry Jones has said he doesn't want to do that at the start of the season. You know what? Fine. Fine. I get your personal relationship with Jason Garrett. You are a good, y'all are good friends. Jason Garrett is a great guy. You want to at least give him the respect of letting him see it out. And yes, at the end of the day, you want to continue to think that, you know what, hey, if there is any possibility at salvaging this, it's going to come with, you know, Jason, with, with, with our coaching staff in place. We just can't start getting rid of people and think that it's going to be addition by subtraction. I honestly, at this point, am ready to even challenge that theory, but I will at least understand it. For three more weeks, I will grit my teeth about it, and I will allow it to play out. And then Jason Garrett's got to go. Jerry Jones comes out and has a comment and says, Jason Garrett will be coaching in the NFL somewhere next year, uh, you know, in the NFL next year. You know what? It will, it can not be in this organization. Period. Period. And players, like I say, you got to start holding players accountable. I've said it all year. Why don't you bench Zeke Elliott after a, a fumble on an opening drive in a game where we had to start out strong against Detroit? Why have we not benched Cheeto Awuzie, who continues to make the exact same mistakes that he has made, you know, for the past probably two seasons as the full-time starter, you know? Why do we not hold players like Antoine Woods accountable? in a situation like this where he's been a distraction for the second time this season. At now, a vital time where we really needed him. All that said, you know what? Three more weeks, Cowboys fans. That's that's the best I can make you feel about it. Three more weeks, and then we can we, we can start to see the new the new path that this Cowboys team is going to come on. And you're right, Coach Ty. Contracts are going to be a big, big deal. And we're going to talk about one specific contract when we come back. Uh, we will get to the Chicago Bears thing, but we haven't quite gotten to this. We, uh, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a very important Dallas Cowboy who's owed a contract and is probably being a better teammate than anybody else on the team right now. We'll get to that when we get back here on the Big D Beatdown. And we are back here on the Big D Beatdown. I'm your host, Austin Smith, joined as always by Coach Ty Rogers. And we are venting about our frustration with these Dallas Cowboys. And Coach Ty, before we move on to the offensive and defensive performances in this game, let's talk about sacrifice and let's talk about trying to avoid a catastrophe with a player who has been a much better teammate than he was advertised to be when we first acquired him. That would be Amari Cooper. Coach Ty, last week you stood up here and you vented about the Cowboys' mishandling of Connor Williams' health situation and how it cost that young man a vital offseason 
in this point of his development by playing him when he was not physically able to go. Amari Cooper has been toughing through leg injuries throughout this season. Now, guys, when Amari Cooper came to Dallas, we heard all the Raiders fans that laughed, which is funny, you know, Oakland Raiders fans having the audacity to ridicule anybody. But, but you know, they laughed and laughed about how, oh, he doesn't play hard. His heart's not in it. He's not a good teammate. No emotion. He'll match Jason Garrett just fine. He'll stand there lifeless and occasionally clap and tap someone on the rear end. Well, you know what? Amari Cooper's actions may not have changed much. He is not an overly emotional guy. But the narrative about him not being a good teammate are just flat-out garbage. Flat-out garbage. It proves to me that Raiders fans have about as much common sense as I've typically given them back in the Al Davis days. Amari Cooper has continuously played through leg injuries for this team with a contract on the line that is bound to be top 5, 10 in the NFL. Now, if Amari Cooper blows out a knee, if he tears an ACL, an MCL, a meniscus, um, you know, an Achilles, you know, he does any of those things, that number is going to drop significantly. And yet Amari Cooper shows up every week and he plays. He plays till the point where he needs somebody to take him out and give him a break, and then he guts it up and he gets back out there. Now, that's, and, and then when I say millions, guys, I'm talking about tens of millions. I'm talking about a guy whose contract at this point is verging on the 18 to 20 million a year annually. We're talking annually, 18, 20 million dollars over most likely what's going to be five or six years. That ACL goes. You can drop that number under $15 million a year. That Achilles goes, probably drop it more than that. And yet he's still out there. Coach Ty, talk to me about the sacrifice that Amari Cooper is making. And more importantly, talk to me about the conversation that needs to be going on right now. At some point, if Amari Cooper is not going to step up and say, hey, guys, you know, the decisions I'm making are all team-based and none business-based, and that's not the way it should be. It's not my fault we still haven't wrapped up an NFC East title and can relax. At some point, did the Dallas Cowboys front office need, and doctors need to all get together and say, Bud, you know what? If we are going to be uh, you know, part of Amari Cooper's future, we need to protect our assets. Even if we're not going to be part of Amari Cooper's future, if he's going to leave us in free agency – then we need to be respectful to a guy who has continuously put himself out there on the line for this team and shut him down. At what point should the Dallas Cowboys take matters out of Amari Cooper's hands, out of everybody's hands, and say, you know what, bud? I know we're in the middle of a playoff race. The only reason we're in the middle of one is because we continuously lost games that we should have won and allowed the Philadelphia Eagles to stay in this. At what point, Coach Ty? Do the Dallas Cowboys step up and say, Amari Cooper, thanks for everything. Go see the trainer and don't worry about it, you know, until you're you're he truly healthy and ready to go. Don't worry about it, bud. At what point should we shut him down? Should have happened two weeks ago. Um, again, I, I know this is not a popular opinion among Cowboy fans or fans of the NFL or anybody who's never worn a jersey. Um, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. The bottom line is that a football player's career is very short and that particularly the prime of his career is particularly a small window. The, the opportunity that you get in the NFL is like winning the lottery if you're a star player. I never was that guy. Uh, I was a grunt. I, I barely made it on a couple of training camp rosters. Um, but I saw how people who really make this into a profession for those people out there, and I'm just going to address this too. For those out there who criticize 
um, you know, someone like an Amari Cooper and say, oh, well, why are you limping around? You're not tough enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is he's a professional and you're not. Half of you guys who are out there on Twitter criticizing them, you never played a football game beyond high school, maybe didn't even play at that level. And this guy had the dedication to take it all the way and has become one of the premier receivers in the NFL. And by the way, he's improved every single year. Um, Raider fans, enjoy uh, that, that franchise moving to Las Vegas. That's exactly what you deserve. You guys are some of the dumbest fans in the entire country um, when it comes to how you deal with your franchise. And uh, the fact that we got Amari Cooper was a steal. Uh, there was no reason for him to be on the, the, the trading block. People forget that Mark Cooper still holds records for the first three years of his contract um, over in uh, L.A. or in L.A. in uh, Oakland because he was one of the premier receivers coming out his rookie se- second and third years. Um, they got bad because the franchise got bad. Well, he's come here to Dallas, and he completely changed the fortune of this team last year. And a lot of times he's been the reason why the Cowboys have had the ability to be dynamic on offense this year, despite our struggles, because he's such a hard cover. But there are two things that are in play here that a lot of people apparently don't see. Number one is that Amari Cooper's great strength is he's a precise route runner. He is quite possibly the best route runner in the NFL. And you can't do that when your quadriceps and hamstrings don't fire the right way. And his hamstring has been bad his hamstring group has been bad since week four. Now, I know he's gutting it out because, like you said, he is a man of excellent character. But the Dallas Cowboys front office owes this man the not only the courtesy, but the, the right as somebody who has done so much for this franchise in the last two years to look at a situation and go, look, man, we don't want you to take a risk that's going to destroy your career in a season – that although it may not be lost, is definitely not the type of season that you're going to push yourself to the brink for and risk your career. And I know a lot of people don't see it that way. It's always win now, win now, win now. But you're talking about a receiver that could be quite possibly the all-time record holder for the Dallas Cowboys with the right personnel, with the right coaching, um, if he was given the opportunity. And hopefully the Cowboys have enough sense to sign him long-term and to do that. And like I said, if they're going to do that, there's no reason that they shouldn't come to Amari Cooper right now and say, look, it's obvious you're not even 70%. The reason that he has not made the catches and had the targets he has in the last four or five games is because after the first quarter, he can't even cut because his hamstrings are so bad. His groin muscles obviously are hurting the way you need to tell by the way he runs. At one point, do you value your athletes is the question. I know this is professional sports, and you are paid to perform even when things are not ideal. But there's a great difference between not ideal and being in a situation where you are possibly risking your career. And he's in that place right now. And because of that, the Dallas Cowboys need to step in because he's not going to stop because he – is truly somebody who's going to try to get the best out of everything because he's a hard worker and believes that he should be on the field. But even with somebody like that, you've got to be like, look, if you don't do this, you are going to possibly risk injury that's going to hurt the rest of your career. And we care enough about you to say, no, that's not okay. We're not going to let you do that for three or four games in the season. And even if they do make the playoffs, the Cowboys can do what they do without Amari Cooper and do it effectively enough that they can reach whatever they're going to reach at this point without making that happen. So the fact that the Cowboys haven't done yet really bothers me. But this is a problem that a lot of players have with management in the NFL and why you continue to have these discussions. I'm not much on the victim mentality, and I'm certainly not much on the idea that players are slaves or any of the things that you hear in the media that get overhyped. But I am somebody who's very sympathetic to the fact that a lot of times it seems like players are robots until they get hurt and then they're easily dispensed. It's just like any other job. You're easily replaceable. So if you value somebody, you're going to do the best you can to help them to understand what is best for them as well as for your franchise. And it is in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys and Amari Cooper with the way he looks physically right now for him not to play. Now, it may not be the whole season. He may be able to go to rest two games and be back at a playing level. 
But I do know this. It should have happened two games ago, and he has done nothing but decline since. And that is on the Dallas Cowboys for not looking him in the face and being man enough to care about him enough to say, look, this is not the best way to go for your career. And again, this is one of the biggest problems I have with football culture right now. And many people who are with me are, are trying to reform the culture that's there um, because you see this happening at every level of football. And it's just not right. And it doesn't honor the, the work and the, the sacrifices put in by these athletes. That, you know, that's the biggest thing is just don't take advantage. You know, in a, in a perfect scenario that involves Amari Cooper dealing with these issues, the Cowboys should have already locked up this NFC championship. Should have already done it. We should be able to look at Amari Cooper and say, you know what, bud? Take the last three games of this season. Let's see how you feel going into the playoffs. And even then, there shouldn't be the over amount. I mean, obviously, every fan out there wants Amari Cooper to play if he can in a playoff game. But it shouldn't be expected. But, you know, I, I, here's the message to you, Mr. Amari Cooper. Go to Cabo right now. Apparently, your agent hasn't said this loud enough to you. But, bud, you are risking tens of millions of dollars. And I get you're going to get a big contract. Somebody's going to give you an opportunity at some point or another. But eventually, you know, you have to do it. You know, yes, uh, everybody wants that team first mentality. But at this point, if the Cowboys aren't going to get with you and say, bud, you know what? You know, we're going to look out for you. Because you practically saved this franchise a little over a year ago when we traded for you and you turned it into a team that had hopes of possibly being an NFC championship game. Came up a game short, but you know what? Amari Cooper turned this thing around. And, you know, at some point or another, the same way they should have done with Connor Williams, they got to look at him and say, Bud, at this point, We've got to do this without you because we don't want to risk your future, whether it's with us or anyone else. And that's the most important thing. Even if you're planning on leaving us, even if you're going to go join the, the Philadelphia friggin' Eagles, who our producer Josh Davis is a fan of, and he seems to think that, oh, you guys are just wait, he's going to end up an Eagle. Even if that were to happen, even if knowing that, I would still feel that the Dallas Cowboys owe it to Amari Cooper to sit him down at this point and not risk that injury. And they do. They do. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to get into both the offense and the defense. We're going to meld them together because we've already, you know... <laughs> it's going to be the same complaints we've said many a times with maybe a few little twists in there. So, uh, so we're going to wrap that up. We're going to wrap that up in this next one. And then we're going to get to a very big question that always comes out when a coach's job is coming to an end. We'll get to all that when we get back here on the big B beatdown. And we are back here on the big B beatdown. I'm your host, Austin Smith joined as always by coach Ty Rogers, King Cunningham, uh, is still getting everything, um, all his affairs in order. He had a uh, a family emergency, a loss in the family um, that he's been recovering from. Uh, Coach or, or Ken, I beg your pardon, Ken. You know, uh, just know that you know we've been praying for you and your family here at the Big D Beatdown, and we can't wait for you to get back. Uh, hopefully, that will be soon. Um, but you know, Co Coach Ty, let, let let's let's get to this offensive and defensive effort real quick. You know, we've already talked about how Ezekiel Elliott was running the ball. Well, was actually getting into open space, which is something that we haven't seen a ton this year, uh, but we had to abandon it. And that was predictable. When Chicago got that ball back right before halftime with a chance to go down and score, knowing they were going to get it back in the second half first, it just became predictable. If if they do that, if they score now and then score when they come back out of the second half, we've got to abandon the run game. It's a three-score lead at that point. Chicago went down and put their own long drive up. I want to say it was seven minutes. 
to start the second half. That didn't make matters any better. So you basically got a quarter and a half to score three times and shut them out. We've played one good drive of football to that point, by the way, and that was the opening drive of the game. We basically had to change up our game plan like we've had to do so many times this year and abandon the run, Coach Ty. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about that. We talked about this offensive line, how it continues to play well. It played well again. I thought Lyle Collins, you know, played outstanding against Khalil Mack, one of the best defensive players in this league right now. Thought, thought, I mean, they, 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 their team, their defense played with energy, made plays. I, I thought really the deciding factor was the play of, uh, you know, for this offense that put us in that slump from basically the first drive all the way until midway through the third quarter was the play of Dak Prescott. And I really thought during that stretch, we saw Dak Prescott play some of his worst football. And, and, and before I get into some of the problems I had, I want to ask you, what were some of the things you saw from Dak Prescott that you weren't thrilled with? Well, there was a little bit of a regression in some of the things I saw that kind of went back to last year. Number one, Dak tried to hold the ball too long in situations where he was getting pressure. Uh, he's been very good this year about checking off uh, into the flats, checking off uh, to receivers who are in man coverage and throwing the deep ball. And, you know, that, that's consistently been something that has been declining uh, over the last few weeks, but it was almost non-existent uh, this week in the past game. And the Cowboys offense, the way that Kellen Orr has it structured, is based on that, particularly against a team like Chicago, who is going to light you up, um, who is going to bring the blitz, and is going to uh, go press man against you. There's no reason that Michael Gallup should not have been catching more balls over the top early in the game uh, against their secondary. Um, he caught some late in the fourth quarter, but again, at that point, it's too late. You're playing catch-up ball and it doesn't do us a lot of good. I don't know why that's become the case. I think Dak's trying to be too perfect in his throws again, and there's a little bit of, you know, like I said, regression in that aspect. The second one that you and I talked about pre-show that is driving me insane right now, and I don't know what it is, if it's Dak or if it's something that is being put in his ear. Dak Prescott is one of the best runners with the football at the quarterback position in the league. Again, We've talked about the fact that Lamar Jackson gets a lot of the highlight reel, and this year, obviously, he's kind of the uh, you know chosen one, I guess if you want to put it that way, when it comes to the NFL hype machine. And I'm not taking it away from Lamar Jackson. I think he's a great quarterback. I think a lot of people underestimated him coming out uh, because of the style of play they played at Louisville. But even then, you knew the guy was a dang good quarterback. Uh, he was in a pro-style system in Louisville. People forget that. You played under um, – uh, I've lost his name. Uh, but anyway um, – you know, his head coach was a pro coach, played coach Atlanta for a while. Um, they're, they're a pro-style system. So, um, you know, the fact that he is a, a good quarterback in the NFL doesn't, doesn't surprise me. Dak Prescott's just as capable, and Dak Prescott weighs 250 pounds. And he hadn't ran his own read for any, any manageable yardage in the last four games. There were plays that looked like they were designed zone reads, in this game, and they were either handed off or thrown immediately to the RPO, and Dak never gave himself a chance to run the football. And I can't understand that. Again, when you're talking about offensive football, particularly against the type of defense that Chicago runs, the most dangerous man on the field carrying the football is the quarterback. And Dak didn't carry the ball for any appreciable yards. Mitch Trubisky outrisked him by, by 70 yards. And that's just ridiculous. So I don't know if that was called or if it was him missing reads but it certainly was a detriment to the way the Cowboys played. The third thing that I saw that was a problem was that on some of his underneath routes, it looked like Dak was trying to lead his receivers way too much, um, and that resulted in a couple of things. It resulted in a couple of bad throws you know, uh, down in the ground because he was trying to tie, uh, put things in tight windows. It resulted in a couple of times where Blake Jarwin you know, had to go make a, uh, a catch over the middle and just get nailed and had no chance at any type of, uh, you know, uh, yards after catch. And more importantly, when it was third and fourth, you know, third down and long, it resulted in, in three and outs. And those are the three things that really bothered me about his play. Um, overall, he didn't look confident. And it's not because he doesn't know the offense. I think at this point he's very comfortable in it. And it certainly wasn't because he's not capable. I just think that the game plan restricted him. Um, whether it was by his own actions or whether it was by the coaching staff's actions. And you can't restrict the guy who is possibly the most dangerous weapon on your entire team. 
Yeah, you know, I, I I think it's the pressure. I really do. I wonder if if he's not putting an overdue amount of pressure on himself to 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 get these Cowboys out of this and bud. I don't care if you're the quarterback. It's, you're the Cowboys aren't going to get better without 53 players and an entire coaching staff doing a better job than they're doing. You know, nobody's shoulders are the bat, that big, sir. Not even the, the the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, I'll I, I tell you right now, the, the, the thing that frustrated me, and I talked with you about this pre-show, was just the missed amount of reads he made. It was a, 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 a as high amount as I've seen all season from him. It's uh, and, and, you know, it, it, even on plays that were a success, you know, and some of them were 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 plays on his own read. Others were just throwing the football. Um, but but Dak just 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 continuously struggled, you know, through that that portion of the game between the first drive and midway through the third quarter. I'll say this much: the first touchdown run by Ezekiel Elliott. The play prior to that, Zach Prescott keeps on his own read. He should have handed off. That, the, that's exactly what the read told us to do. The Cowboys pulled an, uh, either a tight end or an offensive lineman. I can't remember which, but they pulled him. The, the, play, the, 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 the player who should have been the read caught it quick and slammed on the brakes, which means that ball should have been given to Zeke. Now, either the Cowboys designed that as a run to Dak, and Zeke was only a decoy on that, which I do not like. That makes no sense whatsoever, in my opinion. You know, I, anything that's got an option involved in which quarter a quarterback is reading somebody should be an option. That's just the bottom line. You don't have options on play actions because the quarterback's got his back to the defense. He can't read anything. No, it's a pass. It's going to be a pass. We're just using the defense, the, the the fake to pull uh, the running back up. But that's the thing. If Zeke Elliott is just a decoy, there's no need to to involve a fake. There's no need to involve a fake. That could, no need to even put it near him. I mean, yes, you can kind of reach in that direction just to hopefully freeze a linebacker, but the guy you're reading, if he's got you pegged for what you're doing and that's pulling it, and you're going to do that anyway, then bud, at least get a head start and don't ride the fake. But I hate that. And if that's what the Cowboys did, that's a coaching problem. I don't think that was the case. I think that just play flat out made up his mind before the play started. I'm going to get this thing in the end zone, and he missed a read. Now, lucky for us, Zeke Elliott runs it in on the next play for a touchdown. But, Dak, you got to make that read. Another thing. Uh, there was an RPO at, uh, you know, on the second or third drive of the game. Dak Prescott is supposed to be reading the play. It was either the play side linebacker or the strong safety. And I want to say on this particular case, it was a, it was a linebacker. But the bottom line is he's got Michael Gallup on a slant, and he, or he can hand it off to Ezekiel Elliott. The player he's supposed to be reading slams right, right on the brakes. Right on the brakes, which is something you should never do in that situation. You either come up and commit to the run, or you get into your pass drop, and you take away the pass. In this case, he did neither one. In those situations, you usually hand off. That's exactly what he should have done. Zeke goes bursting through the line into the secondary. And, of course, he ends up throwing it to Michael Gallup. And he makes the throw over the guy that slammed on the brakes. And Michael Gallup catches a you know a, a low-caught pass. You know, it's, it's a positive play, but... And who knows what would have happened had he truly... Maybe there was a defender that saw that Zeke didn't have it, and he let up. But Zeke burst through the line on that play. And it's hard for me to believe that that's not how the result would have happened on an RPO design like it was. I just... It it, it baffles me that how you missed that read, bud. The guy froze. That means hand it off. He's not in, you know in the box to be able to defend any kind of run from Zeke Elliott. Hand it off. That's exactly what that play is designed to do unless the de- defense dictates otherwise. Uh, there was a you know a play on a, a d- deep over route where Dak Prescott isn't patient enough. He did not get a ton of pressure. There was more pressure than, than he's seen at times this year, but it wasn't consistent by any means. 
He stays away on a deep over route where the guy is literally getting ready to come out from behind the final defender on that side of the field. You're going to lead him to the sideline, and with a good enough throw, he's going to catch it and be able to turn up the sideline. Instead, Dak Prescott goes the other way. He ends up uh, running right into a sack, I believe. The worst one of all was the throw at Jameez Olawalier's feet, and that is just so disappointing from Dak Prescott on a variety of options. I mean, that it just made me sick to my stomach. First off, that play was not designed to go to Jameez Oliwale. Not No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Even if Zeke Elliott's in the game, which he had just pulled himself out of, and since Tony Pollard was on in, we had to put Jameez Oliwale in a position to play a tailback position, which he has not done this year. He has not caught a pass. He has not run the football. Not one time. We put him in a situation to run a route that we have not asked him to do as a true tailback once this year. However, that play was designed to go to Randall Cobb on a shallow crossing route. We ran a receiver and a tight end across the field, and Randall Cobb came right underneath them, and it worked to perfection. Dak Prescott hits Randall Cobb with that pass. He gets up the field for first down. Bang. We extend the drive. This is on fourth down, by the way, that Jimmy's Olawale passed it that he didn't even look back for. Instead, Dak Prescott gives up on that route before Randall Cobb has even gotten the opportunity to clear all the traffic. And he immediately looks to a running back who is in a position doing something that he's not asked to do. And he's expecting him to make a read on coverage based on the play. Now, I, I, having said that, I do believe Jimmy Zolawale made the right decision. He had man coverage. He had a guy that was coming hard at him. So you turn it up. Now, yes, it's fourth down and I want to say four yards. And as Dak Prescott, he's saying, well, bud, you got to understand the situation. It's fourth and four. All we need is four yards. Just get your head around quick. I'll get it to you. Break it, you know, make one man miss and get the first down. Funny how you talking situational football, but we've got a player who's very seldom in that situation, if ever. Can't rely on Jimmy Zolawale to make that the proper read in that situation. And even so, he did make the proper read. He turned it upfield. Had the player been playing off, then you turn it into more of a flare route. You get your head around earlier, you turn, you catch. Now you got to make one man miss and go get the first down. The guy came up, played him in man coverage tight, and he turned it up the field like, he, like, like Zeke Elliott would have done, like Tony Pollard would have done. Should have never looked that way in the first place. Should have understood your personnel, that Prescott. Should have gone immediately to Randall Cobb. There was no pressure that took that away. There was nothing. Instead, for some reason, you chose not to, you know, to, to factor in that, that Jimmy Zolawale was in the game instead of Zeke. And you, you just crossed your fingers that he knew what he was was doing in a situation that he's not asked to be in very often. Like I say, if at all, that th those are those are all poor moves on Dak Prescott's, you know, part. And that's what frustrated me in this one. You know, uh, yes, there were a few drops. Michael Gallup early on. Yes, was it the easiest catch in the world? No. Randall Cobb, yeah, I, I tell you, he almost got sandwiched in the middle of one. Um, you know, and, and yes, it was behind him. He only got one hand on it. I, I'm starting at this point to wonder just how, how, how much body control Randall Cobb has because we've seen a number of times where, bud, uh, 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 you know, uh, two, you, you sink your hips uh, on your final two steps before you go to make a play on it, and it slows you down enough to be able to catch it as opposed to continuing to run full speed and try and reap back with one hand. But either way, those weren't easy throws. They weren't 100% accurate. I'd like Randall Cobb and Michael Gallup to do their quarterback a favor. Let's quickly switch over to the defensive side of the football. And I've got two things I want to hit on, Coach Ty. But before I hit on those, I want you to talk to me about why a professional football team, and we hammered on this last week, cannot stop a simple zone read with a, with a quarterback who is in the bottom half of the league in athletic, in athletic terms 
when there are defensive coordinators all across the country at the high school level that have figured it out. Go, Coach Ty. Coach Ty, did I lose you? Well, I, I tell you what, we're having an issue with Coach Ty's uh, his microphone right now, but instead I'm going to go ahead and let y'all in on my issues. I'll let y'all in on my problems because I had two main ones, and unfortunately both of them reside with Chris Richard. I've already told you that I'm I'm frustrated with Rob Marinelli based on the fact that we're just not seeing this team fly to the football. But, you know, that, that, that's been the same every week. There were two things in this game that I kept wondering, why haven't we made the adjustment, Chris Richard? The first one is this. Mitchell Trubisky is continuously checking down the football with short passes. We saw it quite a bit with Josh um, Allen the week before. We've seen it quite a bit throughout the, the last month and a half of football, it seems like. We face less confident quarterbacks, whether it be Tom Brady being less confident because it's pouring rain and it's, it's it, you know, major wins, or whether it's just guys like Mitchell Trubisky and Josh Allen that are still developing. Guys like, um, like Jeff Driscoll, who's in his second start of the season. A guy like Kirk Cousins, who, who is as streaky as can get. You know, we've seen repeated checkdowns from teams like this and screens, short, quick passes in order to negate the Dallas pass rush. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's, it's at some point, Chris Richard, you have to move this secondary up and start pressing. I know that's not a big thing in his matchman concept, but, but guys, at some point, you have to take it away. At some point, you got to move them up consistently see these defensive backs lined up off the ball, linebackers lined up too deep, a deep safety lined up too deep. I get that the concept of this is you want things thrown underneath. You want to close and come downhill full speed, break on passes, hit receivers right as they're making a catch, and limit the yards after catch. But guys, eventually you got to look at a guy like Mitchell Trubisky and say, bud, let's see how accurate you are down the field. We'll challenge you. We'll come up and force you to try and throw the ball down the field. Same thing with a Josh Allen. I know he's got a big arm. Doesn't always, you know, have the best deep ball accuracy. That's the biggest knock on him. That big arm is sometimes useless because of the fact that you can't consistently throw the ball with accuracy down the field. At some point, you got to make the adjustment, man. That's one thing we saw prior to Chris Richard being here, prior to Rob Marinelli getting the defensive coordinator job when he was just our defensive line coach and Monty Kiffin was our defensive coordinator. Chip Kelly was the offensive court or was, was the head coach in, in Philadelphia at that point. And you know what? He did not beat the Dallas Cowboys very often. The reason why? Because everything Chip Kelly's offense was predicated on was consistent, short, quick passes and timing. The problem with that is Monty Kiffin had faced it for years when he was coaching under his son Lane at USC, and they were playing the Oregon Ducks and Chip Kelly. And the best way he found to negate those short, quick timing passes was you get up there and you press them and you be physical with them, throw the timing off. Now all of a sudden, you've got an offensive line trying to cut block defensive linemen just to get their hands down and a quarterback who's not ready to throw the football. Because his guys are still getting off a jam or haven't gained any separation. That's the way you take away the short, quick passing game is you disrupt the timing. And you do that with physical play at the line of scrimmage. I'm waiting for Chris Richard's DBs to do it. But we're not seeing it. The other thing that really hacked me off, and I, I, I'll tell you right now, folks. I, I almost, I, I, I screamed for so long, I couldn't believe it. Over a three-play process. Guys, the 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 Chicago Bears run the same play for three straight three consecutive plays. They run the same formation, the same routes. The only difference on those three goal line throws against Jalen Smith with a slot receiver was a they moved Allen Robinson to that position after the injury, and b they threw it back shoulder as opposed to leading him to the back of the end zone. That was the only difference. And we covered it the exact same way three times. With the final one being against their best receiver taking on our middle linebacker. 
I just don't understand. We can't disguise anything. They come out in the same formation. You can't disguise anything to make sure that, hey, if they try and pick on it again, we've got this thing handled. We are not only going to take it away, but we are going to get a turnover. I've griped about turnovers all year long, and here it is, an opportunity to disguise something and take advantage of it, and you don't do it. And eventually, yes, and Jalen Smith battled for that th- that third pass. I give all the credit to Jalen Smith for competing the way he did in a scenario that truly favored the receiver, no matter whether it was it was you know the first guy that got hurt, Mims, or or Allen Robinson, their best target. He competed his rear off, and he came close to winning three times. But at the end of the day. He's doing so in spite of the inability of his defensive coordinator to help him out, to make an adjustment. Come on, Chris Richard. Come on. That's just, that's frustrating. That's, that just is further evidence that this coaching staff is, needs to be held accountable for this season. We can argue all day. Is it more the players, the coaches, front office, blah, blah, blah. Guys, uh, you know, the evidence I'm seeing has to do with the coaching staff. And guys, I was going to ask a question um, to wrap up this show, but with uh, Coach Ty not being here, we're going to save it for our preview for the Los Angeles Rams game that's coming up this week. So we'll answer that question, and I'm not going to tease you and tell you what it is. Just bottom line, we'll get to that question for the Los Angeles Rams preview. And we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks for joining us today, Cowboys fans. Uh, Be sure and join us next time when we talk about that Los Angeles Rams game. See if the Cowboys can snap this three-game skid that they're on. And don't forget to visit us over at pigskinnet.com where you can find everything we do on the Dallas Cowboys. If you want quality football analysis with independent opinions from people who know and understand the X's and O's of the game, head over to Pigskin Nut. Remember, guys, Pigskin Nut for those crazy about football. Also, if you like what you hear, be sure and subscribe to our show. We're available on a variety of platforms. For all you new listeners, you can find us in the Apple and Google podcast stores, as well as on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Podbean. Click that subscribe button, and they'll notify you every time we put out an episode. And you have my word, we are not always this pessimistic. Thanks for joining us today on the Big D Beatdown. For Coach Ty Rogers, I'm Austin Smith. Have a good one, Cowboy fans.